The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So this past week, I had a birthday. Thank you, thank you. Just want to keep the celebration going. And um, yep, I um, had a birthday. I'm getting to that place where um, it, it's now bad news when I have a birthday. I turned 37. My back's hurting a little, okay? Knees are a little shaky. And um, it's interesting how um, celebrations like change, you know, a little bit throughout your life. You know, like the way that I would like really live it up like on my birthday and really celebrate on my birthday like in one season of my life is very different than now. So like, you know, um, back in the day, okay, I remember like, it was my birthday. I'd go out with a big group of friends. We'd stay out too late and we'd have just fun together. And, and now like this year, I did exactly what I wanted on my birthday, okay? It was amazing. I took a nap. <laughs> I ate some ice cream. And then I was in bed before 10 p.m. It was amazing. It was glorious. I have no regrets. If I'm facing 50 more years of birthdays like that, okay, I'm a happy man. Anyone with me on the napping thing? Like that is it's an amazing gift from the Lord, okay? One person back there is not, okay? <laughs> but um, I, I, uh, it was a great birthday, and it was just made me think, okay, you know, even though throughout life, there's this, there's this sense that, like, you know, things change in how you celebrate as we go through life. And um, even, even through that, there's still this, like, compulsion, this desire. We, we want a full life. We want that. We, we want to thrive. We want to flourish. We want to celebrate. We want that fullness. Like, that is something that we desire. Like, it may change in what that looks like. It may change in what we think can attain that, but we want that out of life. We want fullness and thriving and, and that kind of flourishing. And so we've entitled this series Overflow because we're looking at a section of Scripture that talks about the timeless things throughout all of history, the things that remain the same that lead to that overflow of life, that lead to that flourishing and that thriving. And so if you've ever been at that point, or if you're at that point now where you're like, look, I'm going through life and I feel like I'm trudging along, like I feel like I keep tripping over things, or I feel like I'm trying to reach for things that I just can't get to. If you're at that season of your life, you just feel like I feel run down, worn out, weary, I don't feel like I'm getting to that, that overflow, that flourishing, we're looking at a passage that exposes what that looks like, those core foundational truths to gain that overflow of life. And so we're going to look at that today, and we're going to look at a section of Scripture for the next couple weeks in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, open in your Bible or your Bible app to the book Zechariah. It is a prophet in the Old Testament. If you've joined us for the last few weeks, we have been studying the Old Testament prophet Haggai, and Zechariah is immediately after that prophet. So we're just kind of, we're going to keep going. And the reason we're doing these two prophets together is they were contemporaries. They were at, they spoke at the same time into the same scenario in two completely different ways, but they were both from God speaking to this people of Israel. And so we're going to start in the book of Zechariah chapter one. Let me just read the first verse and we'll gain some context as to what's going on. 
Here's what it says. Zechariah 1, verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying. Now let's just get the context. It gives us the date and it gives us who this prophet is. The date, it says the eighth month of the second year of Darius. Darius is the Persian king, probably the most powerful man in the world at the time. And we can take the biblical history of this passage and we can um, compare it to the Persian history that they recorded and we can know exactly when this is. This is November of 520 BC. This is about a little over 500 years before the time of Christ. Okay, now the context for this is very significant. This is an incredible moment in the history of Israel. And to understand this, let me backtrack for a second. Israel, God's people, have this ongoing relationship with God that they are, they go back and forth between being hot and cold, like all throughout their history. I mean, even from the get-go, when they come out of Egypt as a people, Moses goes up on the mountain to get the, the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone. And even though God had just taken them out of Egypt, they build a golden calf and worship it. And they say, this statue we made, that's who brought us out of Egypt, which is ridiculous. They just made it. And so Moses comes down and they have to like, they, okay, let's begin again. It's God Almighty, the one true living God, not a fake statue that you made, okay? The living God who made everything, who made you, that's who brought you out of Egypt. And ongoing throughout their history, the, the time of the judges, it was, it was this downward cycle, okay? They'd have guys like Gideon and Samson and, and a woman named Deborah. They had all these judges throughout and it was this constant downward cycle. They would walk away from God. They'd like cheat on God. God described it like a marriage. He says, you know, we're, we're here in this marriage and when they go and worship these fake gods, it's like they're cheating on God. And so they would cheat on God and then God would draw, have tough love on them, trying to draw them back. They would have some uh, other enemies coming in and kind of like conquering them or subjecting them or oppressing them. They would say, oh, we, we forgot. Let's turn back to God. And then the next generation would fall away again. And they got worse and worse and worse and worse. Then came the time of the kings. You got guys like David who established Jerusalem as the capital and, and Solomon who built this temple. And the same thing. They would continually be oppressed and they'd return to God. They'd be oppressed and return to God. And it was this downward spiral of them forgetting for hundreds and hundreds of years, generation after generation after generation. I mean, it is painful at times to read through. You're like, how are you not getting this? It happens every time. And eventually you get to this one part where they're so far from God that the Babylonians are camped outside their city. Like the superpower of the world. The world's terrified of these Babylonians. They're just moving through conquering nations like they're nothing. And they're all holed up in Jerusalem wondering what's going to happen. And they're like, surely God's going to deliver us, right? I mean, he's been doing that for years. I mean, we, we've been his people. We've been here for, for hundreds and hundreds of years and no one has been able to take Jerusalem. I mean, this B Babylonian army is no match for God. They're inside, huddled inside the walls. Maybe some of them standing outside the wall hearing the war drums and the war trumpets wondering if this terrible horde, what God's going to do. And to their utter shock, the Babylonians march through Jerusalem and level it. 
God had warned them over and over and over and over from the prophets. Please, return to me, return to me. And finally he said, okay. The Babylonians leveled Jerusalem, leveled the walls, leveled their houses, and leveled the temple. And to them, their shock, this promised land that had been promised all the way back to Abraham, they get pulled out of their promised land, taken all the way back to Babylon, and now they're living in exile. How confusing. I mean, God, what about all of these promises that you said? I mean, you said that you'd bring our enemies under our feet. You said there'd be a dynasty that would be through the house of David forever. Like, what about all these promises? It must have been so devastating and confusing. And a little over a generation later, the Persians came to power and they sent these people back to live in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to imagine you're that generation. You grew up in Babylon, and all you heard from your parents or your grandparents were the incredible glories of Jerusalem, and you get to see it for the first time, and it's in ruins. And you're walking through the rubble, but you know God's up to something because you're back there, and you begin building the, the, putting the pieces back together. One of the first things they did is, under the leadership of a guy named Ezra, they built the foundation, rebuilt the foundation of the temple, the place that God dwelled. And then they started building up their houses and they, and, and they actually started neglecting the temple. It's almost like, oh my goodness, here we go again. And then Haggai shows up, this prophet. And Haggai speaks to them and says, stop, what are you doing? How can you build your houses and leave God's house in ruins? And for one of the first times, it seems, this entire group, every last one of them, were stirred. It was a miracle. I mean, they were just, every one of them were receptive to the word of God and they all stopped what they're doing and started rebuilding the house of God. And through, through the prophecy of, of Haggai, encouraging them to start rebuilding this temple. And so what we hear, what we read from this section is that this November 520 BC is situated right in the middle of the book of Haggai. These two guys, Haggai and Zechariah, are prophesying at the same time. So I want you to imagine that they're in the middle of starting to put the stones back on top. They're starting to rebuild. I mean, it's a work day throughout all of Jerusalem. And imagine the gravity of this. I mean, you're looking at this Jerusalem just in ruins, but you realize something incredible is happening. You're putting these stones back on top. You've got a group over here that are cutting bricks, and you've got a, a group over here that are putting the bricks on top of each other, and these people are mixing bricks and, and, and cleaning up the rubble, and they're all starting to build. And then this guy walks up. Like, who's this guy? Is this Zechariah? We know Zechariah. And he's going to stand in front of them one day and say, thus says the Lord. And they're going to realize, wow, God didn't just send us Haggai. He sent us this other prophet. And they're going to put down their tools. They're going to put down their bricks. They're going to stop and they're going to listen to what Zechariah says. Now there's something really powerful already just in verse 1. The name Zechariah is very significant because the name Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. What a word for that generation. I remember my promises. All the things I promise come to fruition. They are a yes. Everything that I promise. Yahweh remembers. Now, Zechariah is a long book. It's much longer than Haggai. And we're going to read just the first 
foundation. He lays a foundation for these people. Here's what he says first. I just want to read through it, and then we're going to stop for today. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words... And my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. This is amazing, this generation. is unlike maybe any other generation in Israel's history when they hear the word of God, they responded. They responded to Haggai, and here they respond to Zechariah. They repented. What does the word repent mean? He's saying return to the Lord. This word repent is kind of this churchy word. It comes right out of the Bible. Repent means you're going this way towards disobedience. You pull the e-brake, make a U-turn, and you go the exact opposite way, and you return to God. That's what this people did. Now, what is the message that he says to them? He says this. Your fathers didn't listen to me. Please. Please. Don't be like your fathers. Now, you'd think of any generation, they wouldn't need this reminder, would they? I mean, they're just looking around. There's rubble everywhere. The evidence of their father's hard-heartedness, that they'd stop up their ears to not hear the word of God. I mean, the evidence of the fact that their fathers didn't repent. It's everywhere. I mean, they're tripping over it. There's ruins. The great Jerusalem is now in ruins. You think of any generation, God didn't need to tap them on the shoulder and say, do you see? But God knows. He's been with this people for all the generations. He knows the cycle. They, they, they leave God, they need to be called back. They leave God, they need to be called back. They leave God, they need to be called back. God knows, and so he comes to this generation and says, please, please do not be like your fathers. And then he, he just kind of puts like an extra emphasis on it. He says this, your fathers, where are they? See, because most of those people hearing them right at this point, most of these people hearing Zechariah, their fathers died in Babylon. Their fathers and grandfathers died in exile. Their fathers and grandfathers never came back and got to see Jerusalem. He says, where are your fathers? They've all passed away. He says, now, what about the prophets? I mean, the, the people who were my mouthpiece to Israel, where are they? They've passed away too. He says, the only thing that has stood and remained the same are my words. And did you see how he described his words? This is an amazing image. He said, my words, did you see this? Overtook them. 
In other words, I want you to imagine an army that's fleeing and another army that runs them down, overtakes and overwhelms. That's how God's describing his words. My words remain the same. They overtook your fathers. This is how Isaiah the prophet said this same thing. I mean, this is really, really poignant. This is what it says in Isaiah 47 and 8. Isaiah puts it like this. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Did you catch that? I mean, that's sobering. He says, compared to the word of God, compared to the words that God has spoken, his truths, when you compare humanity, we rise up and feel invincible. He says, you're like a blade of grass. You're here to, I mean, compared to my word, God says, you're here one day thriving and then you wither and die. You know how you feel about a blade of grass? He says, that's you compared to the word of God. It stands through the generations. Powerful word. What's Zechariah doing? Before he goes into any of these other prophecies, through these, any of these other visions that he has, he's laying a foundation just back to the basics, the fundamentals, return to God. It's almost like he's saying, the guy who's named Yahweh remembers, it's like he's saying, remember Yahweh. He's returned to you, you return to him. Remember God. Okay, he, he's giving them the fundamentals, the foundation to begin this whole book of the Bible. Now, right now, in the sports world, the NCAA, champion, the NCAA um, March Madness Tournament is going crazy right now. Um, anyone, anyone NCAA March Madness fans? Anyone? Two of you? Three of you? Okay. Any really sad FSU fans out there? Okay. As a you know Miami Hurricanes fan, I'm deeply wounded for you. I can see the pain written all over my face for you FSU fans. Um, anyway, if you're following NCAA basketball, it's reminding me of one of the most legendary NCAA coaches um, in history. He was the legendary UCLA coach John Wooden, and he was famous for teaching his players the fundamentals. So much so that he famously did one thing every time he had a new player the first time in the locker room. He trained them how to do something. Anyone remember what it was? To tie their shoes. He would teach them how to put on their shoes and socks. And the, peop- the, the players that grew up under this and played under him said we were always shocked. I mean, here are the best players in high school, guys, many of them destined to be in the NBA, they walk in and John Wooden says, okay guys, um, get out a pair of socks and some shoes. Okay, what? Today I'm going to teach you how to put on socks and shoes. Okay, is this kindergarten? You know, what is it? No, serious. Get out your socks. And they'd be like, okay. He says, all right, take your socks. You're going to put your toes in there and pull it all the way up. They're like, okay. He's like, no, seriously, I want you to smooth out your heel, no wrinkles on that sock. Go to where the, the pinky toe is. Make sure there's no little folds there. I want to make sure that sock is all the way pulled up. I don't see you doing it. You, full, 
you know, smooth out your sock, okay? And then he'd be like, okay, now get your shoes. I want you to, to loosen it all the way up, put your shoe on, and then I want you to start at the very bottom and tighten each loop. Let's do it together. Each loop, tighten all the way up, pull the laces, tie it in a bow. But guys, we're not just going to tie it in a bow. We're going to double bow it, okay? Double knot it. I don't want you to trip and fall out there. And these guys are like, this is ridiculous, okay? And they're putting this on, but this is this legendary coach. And I, I recently read how, what he actually explained to them when he was teaching them this. He said, if you don't know how to put on your shoes and socks and you go out and practice and run hard on this hard surface and play all these games, you'll get a blister. If you get a blister, then you're going to have to miss some playing time. And if you're good enough and you're missing playing time, we might lose, and if we start losing, I get fired. So I'm going to teach you how to put on your shoes and socks, okay? You can't argue with that logic, okay? And um, his players are famous for saying, man, he was so committed to the fundamentals. In fact, one of his most famous players, a guy named Bill Walton, he went on to be um, an NBA Hall of Famer. In college, he was the player of the year three times. He led them to two championships. And after one of the championships, and one of the time he was the player of the year, he came back to the first day of practice the next season, and uh, Coach Wooden came up to him and says, um, what's this on your face? Well, I, I grew out a beard. Well, what's with your hair all long? And he'd grown out like 70s style, all shaggy. And he says, uh, yeah, I grew out my hair, coach. And he says, no, you, you remember our rule, you're clean shaven and your hair is not longer than two inches. And Bill Walton looks at him and says, I just won the player of the year last year. And I just took this team to a championship. Who do you think you are telling me that I have to shave my face and cut my hair? What gives you the right to tell me that? And John Wooden says, you're right, I, I don't have the right to tell you to shave your face and cut your, your hair, but I do have the right to decide who plays and who doesn't play. So practice starts in 15 minutes. I sure hope that beard and that hair is trimmed by then. And Walton's eyes get really wide and he says, I'm sorry, it's 14 minutes now. And Walton tears out of there, rides his bike, and he's shaving while the barber is cutting his hair. So he makes it back to practice. That's how committed he was to the basics and the fundamentals. And that's what made him one of the most successful NCAA coaches of all time. Why? Why do we need to be reminded of the fundamentals and relay the foundation over and over and over and over and over again? Why? Because we forget. And there's certain things, if you forget it, it can short-circuit everything. So if there's like one thing, I want you to, to remember one thing. I want you to write this down in your journal. Okay, th this is important. Here's what Zechariah is teaching us. If you're going to remember one thing today, what Zechariah 1 teaches you, remember, you forget You've got to remember to remember. You cannot forget how often you forget. You have to remember you forget. You have to remember there is a one foundational truth over and over in the Old Testament. It says, remember, 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 remember. And they never remembered that for some reason. They always just forgot to remember. And they would forget, and then they would fall away from the Lord, and they would go through this cycle, and, and Yahweh remembers, is standing up saying, remember Yahweh. 
It's this foundational thing. We want to flourish. We want to find a, a life. You know, the scripture talks about finding life that's abundant. There is one foundational thing underneath all of it that can trip us up. Remember, you forget. What do we forget? We forget unthinkably the Lord. Somehow along the way, God becomes a satellite orbiting our lives. It's a piece of our life, something we give a a thought to here and there. Sometimes we remember the Lord, sometimes we don't, and we drift and we forget he is the being holding our molecules together. How could we forget the Lord? Remember your tendency to forget. We cannot forget the Lord. That is absolutely foundational. We have to start there. How is it that we forget? Like, why do we forget God? Like, why do we forget the Lord? There are certain things that happen for us that make us forget. The first thing is like, we just get so distracted in our lives. We've got all these dreams and hopes and plans and all these things we want to see happen. And they're, well, they're not happening or they're happening more than I thought. And we have all these hopes and dreams. We're pursuing our career. We're pursuing um, wealth or we're pursuing a relationship. We've got all these things we're pursuing. And then, you know, we've got all these circumstances that come in our life that distract. We've got issues here, financial issues, relational issues, issues with our job. And then all of a sudden we've got this busy schedule and our schedules are busy. Our children's schedule is busy. And all this distraction, we forget. But there's a, more, there's a more conscious reason we forget sometimes. Sometimes we're, we're going along spiritually and we're close to God and we're kind of in there with him and we're praying, we're asking for things and there's this dialogue and then all of a sudden we're really asking urgently God for something and God doesn't do it. And we say, why am I doing this? This is a disappointment. God, you've disappointed me. I mean, I thought I laid these things out. Okay, like, this is what I need. I mean, I've prayed for it. I've consistently prayed for it. I mean, God, this is what I need. And sometimes we get to this place where, like, God, you're not doing what I'm asking you to do, what I'm telling you to do, and so why am I doing this? Have we forgotten who we're dealing with? There's a guy in the Bible named Job. Job was stripped of everything. I mean, everything was taken from him. Everything. And for, 30, for 37 chapters, he and his friends are sorting through. And, and Job does this thing. He does what I think many of us do sometimes. He says, all right, God, I'm not just like walking away from you altogether, but I'm not happy. I still believe in you, and I'm not going to just completely reject you, but you've given me a raw deal here. And then God's going to show up and speak to Job. And I want to read to you. I just want to read to you what God says, because God's voice audibly rang out from heaven and put Job in his place. And it says God's voice. Like, let me just set the context. It says God's voice came out of the storm, came out of a whirlwind. Okay, you're sitting there as Job. And on the horizon, something like this comes up. What do you do? Do you flee? Do you run? I mean, at some point, a storm, a whirlwind overtakes you. You're stuck in the midst of the storm. And if that's not terrifying and paralyzing enough, God's voice 
is overpowering the thunder from the storm, booming and ringing from heaven, talking directly to Job. As I read this, I want you to remember it's God Almighty who holds the universe in his hand speaking to Job. Can I just read this over you? This is what God said. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. You stretched a measuring line across it. On what were its footings set or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed the limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther? Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their unpraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed? to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the vastness of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know. You are already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered into the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunder to water a land where no man lives, a desert with no one in it to satisfy desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you decredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at every proud man and bring him low. Look at every proud man and humble him. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you.
May God spare you and me from a day. When God reminds us who he is. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten the Lord? Have you forgotten who the center of the universe is? That everything stays in its orbit, including your very life and existence, by his good pleasure and the word that comes from his mouth? Do you remember the Lord, Christian? Because if we remember the Lord, obedience to God Almighty is not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's not just a good idea. It's the Lord God Almighty who's speaking, and it's his very words that spoke the universe out of nothing. Please, can I beg you not to fall into the absurd notion that our generation has that we can find truth by looking inside of us. Do we have the audacity to stand before a living God and say, I'll just find my own truth, thank you very much. I'll just be true to myself. I'll look inside and let my heart guide me. Because if that's what we're going to say, let us contend with Almighty God who said this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Can you hear the word of the Lord saying the enemy has tricked you to think you can find truth from the most sick, deceitful part of who you are, your heart? And can we choose to humble ourselves and realize the word of the Lord stands every generation, even when this one fades like a blade of grass, his word will stand and still stand strong as it has throughout history, and may we have the wisdom to fear the Lord. Because the very beginning, the foundation of everything else that's built in our life is that fearing the Lord is the beginning. That's the first step, the beginning of all knowledge. How can we think we can flourish and find life when we're forgetting the life giver? Stand on the foundation, the unmovable, unchangeable power of the word of God. Christian, he's saying to you today out of the book of Zechariah, look around at the ruins of Jerusalem. He's saying, please do not bring this ruin back upon your life. He's saying, I'm calling you to obedience because sin destroys your life. Saying, Christian, have you forgotten what sin does? Look to the cross and see a mangled figure of your Savior and realize that is what sin does. It maims and destroys and causes blood and carnage. He's saying, please repent and turn from that sin and run back to Father God. Christian, he's saying, he's calling you to obedience. He's saying, I am calling you to forgive. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Forgive so that you don't get sucked under in the quicksand of bitterness. He's saying, Christian, be generous. It's not a recommendation or a suggestion. It's a command to give so you don't shipwreck your life on the rocks and the reef of the love of money. He's saying, Christian, 
please submit your sexuality to God. Be obedient with your sex life. Why? So that you don't distort and damage and deaden the most greatest, one of the greatest gifts he's given you. He's not going to sit by and let you do that. Remember, you forget the Lord. Who is it that we're dealing with? Christian, are you sitting here saying, you know, recently in my prayer life, it's just been dragging and I just, I don't know, there's just no life in it, it's just a chore. It's probably because you forget who you're talking to, your Father who's in heaven. Do you remember who you have access to in your prayer life? Maybe it's dead because you're forgetting that you have been given access to the source of all wisdom that invented you even having the capacity to think. And he's letting you come into his presence. You're, you're coming to address the one who has all the power of the universe that he wields easily. That's who you're communing with. Have you forgotten who you're speaking to? Have you forgotten the privilege it is to commune with such a being? Do you, remember, do you realize the, the price that was paid for you to be able to come to God boldly into the throne room. It cost the very blood of Jesus himself, the Son of God in the flesh, so that we can even come into his presence in prayer in the name of Jesus. Have you forgotten he's not just in heaven, but he's your father. He invented you, knows every single detail about you, knows everything about your circumstances that there is to know. He knows you and yet says, I love you and I'm for you. And what can separate you from the love of God? Can pestilence, can famine, can sword or nakedness or danger? No, nothing can separate you from the love of God because of Jesus Christ. Have you forgotten who he is? Christian, have you forgotten what this is that we have? A couple months ago, we said we want to be people of the word because we are like Psalm 1 says, want to be planted by streams of water, getting constantly his wisdom and his nourishment, the nourishment of the gospel straight from the scripture into our lives. Have we already forgotten? Maybe some of us started strong and we're starting to lose momentum of going into his word every single day. Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten that in here contains the only source of truth that is faithful generation after generation after generation after generation? Run to the scripture. It's your daily bread. Feast on it. Christian, have we forgotten that he tells us to come together regularly, to come together offering worship together because we are part of something bigger than ourselves, a piece of the body. Maybe you're, you're, you're here or you're watching online or you would say, you know what, I, I follow Jesus, but you know, it's just me and Jesus. I prefer it just kind of like I do my own thing. I don't trust organized religion. I just kind of do my own thing. I've had some bad experiences. You know, maybe that's where you're at and that's fine, but you're going to need to contend with what God himself said when he commanded us in Hebrews 10. Do not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but come together to stir each other up for love and good deeds. You can think you'd rather be off on your own, but he's saying you're a piece of the body. You'll die when you're disconnected. Christian, decide. Who is it that we're going to serve? Is God on the throne or am I on the throne? Am I going to come up with my, my good ideas or am I truly going to say, there is a God, I serve him, and I'm going to submit every piece of my life to him because he is almighty God. Have we forgotten? Faith is treating God like he's actually God. 
there's some of you that are here and saying, look, I, I, I hear you and I'm, you know, I, I'm curious about this Jesus thing. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure if I'm ready to take that step. And you know, maybe later in my life, you know, one day I'm on my deathbed or, or one day when I get a couple more things, I just need to work a couple more things out or I have a couple more questions. Can I plead to you? Do not leave here today because there's a day coming in your life and you do not know when it is when you, like every one of us, will stand before God and will face the fiery, terrible wrath of God for our sins. And we will be faced with whether or not we will experience the full weight of the wrath of God or we'll, we'll face the mercy and grace and love of God. And the only way to avoid the wrath of God is to believe that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to earth, was crucified to a cross, and absorbed all the payment in that death for our sins. He took the cup of God's wrath, drained it down to the dregs, and put it down and says, it is finished, and rose again from the dead, saying, all your sins are paid for. You just need to put your faith in Jesus. Because on that day, on that day, your only escape from the wrath of God is that Jesus took the full wrath on your behalf and it is offered to you as a free gift. Please, please do not leave here risking that today is your final day and you will stand before the Lord God Almighty without Jesus as your Savior. Please, human, we have to be reminded over and over and over and over and over. Remember, don't forget, remember the Lord. We're going to end our time together a little bit differently today. Because we dare not walk out of here, doing anything other than what this generation in Zechariah 1 did where they stopped and repented in fear of the Lord. We dare not be hearers of the word only and not doers. And so today we're going to end with a time of reflection. And here's what I'm going to ask each of you to do, to pull out your journal or the place where you're taking notes and we're going to take a few minutes and, bef and while you're sitting there, there's going to be some music playing what is the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, what has he stirred in you saying, turn from that. Stop doing that. Start doing that. What is he telling you? Forgotten. What is he calling you to do this week? I want to challenge you to write that down in your journal. Take this with you and walk out of here. May he find us a church like that generation that immediately responds to the word of God and walk faithfully according to his word. For some of you, what you need to write is today is the day where you receive Jesus as your savior and you realize it's not about what you do. It could never be. It's about what he did, what he has done. And today, maybe in your journal, you just write out a prayer to God, putting your faith in Jesus for the first time. Thank you, say something like, thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sins. Today's the day. You put that date there, if today's the day you put your faith in Jesus, you are sealed for eternity in heaven today. Take that step. Let me pray over us as we go into this time of reflection. Holy God, we're humbled by whose presence we come into today. 
We do not take that lightly. Thank you for the privilege of even uttering words that come to your ears. We surrender to you. May you find our offering of surrender and obedience a pleasing offering to you today. Bring down, chain, bring down walls and break chains. Transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.